0: This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures! Uh, half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy!
1: <laughs> this episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Time Traveling Team. I'm Paddy. Each week, Paul and Dan do a fantastic job guiding us through the wide world of movies and TV shows. Meanwhile, my co-host Trisha and I are taking a trip through the time vortex and discussing the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey world of Doctor Who. Starting back from the earliest adventure in 1963, we're discussing the stories, the Doctor, the companions and the villains of this iconic show. You can find us at Time Team on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Now sit back, relax and enjoy as Paul and Dan do their thing, half-measure style.
0: Kia ora and welcome to episode 55 of the Half Mishes Podcast. I'm joined by my chief of the boat and co-host, Paul Kanawa. Paul, I want to go down bubble at three degrees. Make it happen.
1: Down bubble, three degrees. Second edition, one SQ, for strategic missile launch. Spin up missiles one through five. This is not a drill. This is the chief of the boat.
0: You're relieved of your duty. I feel like that
1: was that was actually not planned. I, feel, I, I think I did pretty well. Pretty well.
0: You did pretty well. You you took my basic order and you you turned it into something meaningful, like a, a good employee. I appreciate that.
1: A good employee. Wow, I'm, I'm really glad we've got that on the record. <laughs> I appreciate that means that is my employee of
0: the pod. <laughs> of my, you know, like if you're given an order, you you, yeah, you yeah. know you you going the extra distance.
1: Oh, correct, Captain. Correct
0: so paul enough of this uh submarine talk we can save that to a little bit later in the pod how have you been and what have you been watching
1: i've been good i tell you what it's been a busy week there's been you know how sometimes we're not on the podcast and we're doing like this real life thing there's been real life things going on i had a i had a social engagement on the weekend which i i just never do i never do these things so um there's that there's been the uh the, prince, uh, yeah, the harry and megan's interview that's been yeah there's been so much going on that all of this is me just lining up the fact that i haven't really watched a whole lot which is great when you're the co-host of a podcast about watching stuff um but one thing i have been watching dan and it may come as no surprise and that is uh yellowstone season three so uh, we've been continuing our journey uh in montana with kevin costner and co into the the third season and we didn't quite make it all the way through the whole third season so um we'll have to be um we'll have to be real uh careful about what we talk about because we've only got a few more to go and i presume when season four out it's soon isn't it
0: Yeah, I believe it's a little bit later this year. I don't think an official date's been set yet, but it sounds like you're watching season three a little bit how I did. I, you know, furiously binged season one and two. And then three, I sort of slowed it down a little bit and it felt okay to slow it down and Mm. kind of like, you know, like we talked about, something to enjoy and savor.
1: Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it, it has calmed down as well, the stories itself. So, we talked about all the drama of season two last week, and there was so much action, so much tension, and it really has slowed down a great deal when we think about season one, season two. And, and I'm absolutely fine with that because it allows you the chance to jump into. Some of these you know these amazing characters that we we always talk about in just a little bit more more depth and detail. and I mean it even starts with like the first three episodes we've got we've got John dun played of course by Kevin Costner on like his summer camp and he's just in a tent for like three episodes in. He's so annoyed that he's getting phone calls that he moves the camp just like up a hill just a little bit so that he gets no reception whatsoever. It was um, it was a very relaxed kind of um, start to the season after the frenetic season two. But um, there's some really interesting things going on. Um, again, if anyone's uh, not wanting spoilers, jump ahead on the using the show notes. But um, you know, Jamie Dudden turns out Dan not a Dudden after all, adopted. I did not see that coming.
0: I feel like you've just dropped a pretty big spoiler there, Paul—a pretty big spoiler. But yeah, that was a, a bit of a shock, wasn't it?
1: Indeed, it is. And yeah, if anyone's still listening and that's a spoiler, well, you had your warning. But it's—it's uh, it's kind of—it's kind of explains a little bit about um, you know how we've always talked about how he's just treated so unfairly. It kind of it kind of gives a little bit of grounding into that that's not to say that that justifies why he's been treated unfairly but it's kind of it gives that sort of like he's never been seen as being quite a son but kevin costner's character has these brilliant lines of dialogue where he basically says we raised you you know i have the right to call you son i looked after you and it's a it's a really interesting scene because uh, i cannot imagine what it would be like to to, to find out just by just going to get your birth certificate, that no, you're you're actually adopted. That was that was quite interesting. But um, the other thing, and again, I'm not, I'm not sure what happens by the end of season three, but we've just had Beth propose to Rip, and that was pretty exciting as well. Um, the, the fact that she sort of took the the whole asking the father for permission, uh, asking for the hand, you know, off the table because. Rip was never going to go and ask John that question. So um, it was great that Beth went and did that. Now, um, There's been a, a number of things in this season which have been really good. The story with Jimmy has just continued to get more and more interesting. I love how they're taking this character who could be seen as the comic relief of the show and giving him this whole story act where he sort of... Um, he attracts the attention of the of this girl who recognizes him as being a rodeo and then just when you think he's going to have some happiness he he injures himself really badly because he's distracted by her when he should be concentrating on the horse and you think oh he's going to go to hospital he's all busted up he she's not going to be interested anymore but then as soon as he opens his eyes she's still there waiting and uh, i thought that was a really nice story i guess it was jimmy's really growing on me as a character. I could I wouldn't say I'd watch a spin-off about him alone, but I I really hope he's around for season four.
0: I think you might have sent me a, a Snapchat earlier in the week, Paul, where there's that fantastic scene where Jimmy and his girlfriend are travelling in the yeah. in the truck with Rip, and Rip does not want to take any extra passengers on, in the car. He doesn't want to engage in conversations. He doesn't want to put put some music on. And that little scene between um uh, but between the two of them is so great when he's he's sort of like when we get back to the ranch I'm going to kill you like it's so
1: good Yeah, so- and he's sort of got his hand there he goes with my bare hands he's like he's, he's but he's he's a fascinating character Rip because at the same time he's he's equal parts annoyed about the whole situation but then he's also equal parts completely finding the entire thing hilarious just the situation that Jimmy's got himself into and uh, yeah I I would definitely watch a Rip uh, a Rip Wheeler spin-off series that would be that would be great. I'm um, I'm really fascinated to know um, now with Yellowstone 1883, how much further back that that is compared to where we are now. What's uh, well, not no, Obviously, we know how far back, but how much further down the the uh, the family line it will be. How many generations that is? Is that two generations? I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, I thought the same thing myself because though 1883 is a you know we're we're definitely talking near the end of the West, aren't we? Where, yeah. you know, there's probably still some outskirts of, of things. Um people kind of live living living that way. But between them and and the John Dutton we we know three, maybe four uh generation, but four feels like a stretch. Um three maybe?
1: Yeah, I think I think three could be about right. So yeah, I just think it'd be it'll be just interesting because I think there will be ties to what we see today. But I feel like as you go back, if you think about your own family history, if you were to go back that many, how, how much people, if they were to sort of relate that to you, how, how relatable that'd be, I don't know. So it'd be really interesting, but uh, there's been some interesting stories. So the other story of course, was how we find out about the origin of Beth's hatred towards Jamie and, and how that all started when they were, when they were very young teenagers and, and Beth gets herself into some trouble and, and Jamie tries to help her out and maybe doesn't do the best job, but hey, he's only young too. And maybe, maybe she, you know, if she was being treated a little better by her father, wasn't so scared of John Dudden, maybe she might have gone to him. But uh, yeah, just uh, a lot of interesting stories. I'm really curious to see how this season ends because there doesn't, I'm not saying that I haven't enjoyed it as much as season one or two, but there hasn't been uh, one overall dominant. Act to this season there's been a number of different stories all of them have been enjoyable so there hasn't been any unenjoyable episodes or, or fillers but um yeah there's just there's just hasn't been that overall arc that the other seasons have had so I'm interested to see what what might happen in the last I think we've got three episodes to go
0: well I think you better uh keep your cowboy hat close and your 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 gun your, your pistol loaded because you know, you got to be ready on Yellowstone Paul and you know, just when you think things are calming down, mm. it's going to crank back up. So, um, okay. Look, I'm looking forward to your, your thoughts next week. Once you've, you've probably finished those three episodes.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I don't think I have any other notes on this episode. Uh, so on this season I was going to talk about, and as I say, that's been the main thing we've been watching. The only other thing that we've watched, uh, other than the things we're going to talk about to together to today, uh, as we're carrying on with Superstore um the comedy as our as our palette cleanser. That has been really good. We're in season two. It's just getting funnier and funnier as the as the actors and actresses become more sort of familiar with their characters. Honestly, I I love the show. It's such a a great feeling as well, isn't it? When you know you've got five seasons of something really great to look forward to and it's just sitting there waiting for you like some old Seinfelds and yet I haven't seen it before. So it's all fresh. So that's been fantastic.
0: That's really good to hear that Uh, you feel like it's getting better because you know, remember I mentioned I've, I've watched the first couple of episodes but I think um, I'm going to have to go back and add this one to the, the palate cleanser list. Now, Paul, I'm interested, Um, and I was going to bring this up but you you brought it up a little bit earlier. Did you watch the uh, the Oprah interview with Megan and Harry?
1: I have not watched it all. I've watched a lot of it. I've watched enough of it. Um, I I feel like I got caught up in the hype, which is a terrible thing to say given what it's all about. But um, yeah, fascinating, fascinating.
0: I, so we watched it last night um, purely because I felt like it was everywhere. And I'll tell you what, it was kind of a real uh, guilty pleasure watch where it was almost like a night off from the usual watching that we do Mm. and watching this whole sort of debacle kind of unfold. And, Getting a glimpse into you know such a prestigious family that you don't normally get mm. this level of insight into, I found absolutely fascinating.
1: It, it it really is, and I think it's because the the you know the royal family always have that policy of um, never explain and never complain. That's the sort of you know they don't react to anything, and yet even this week we've had the the queen respond to this and say that you know that they're saddened and then there's that whole recollections may vary but they want to settle it privately it seems from what i heard and from the all the stuff i've seen that they're not really pointing the finger at at the queen and not even at philip i'll be honest i, I made a judgment which was wrong when i heard about this all coming out i i figured oh it's going to be philip it's classic philip it's the sort of thing he'd say and so that's terrible isn't it that i did that because it, it obviously wasn't and the way things are pointing, and this is the one frustration I have with this whole thing, I can't believe we're talking about this on the podcast, it's great, um, is is it just sounds like it's Charles, but again, there's been no real sort of confirmation on that either, has there?
0: Well, I, I think what's interesting about it is I think you know, you're know you spot on. I think this whole thing felt like the, the dodgy old granddad uh, was definitely at, at the heart of some of these horrible things that have been happening. And I think a couple of things, I think – I think it was pretty brave of Meghan Markle to come out and, you know, talk about particularly the, the mental health stuff around mm. how she felt like she has been treated, what it made her feel, how much of a, a life change it really was for her. And I think it was a, a very bold move to, to, to come out on TV and, and say these things. I really enjoy that they call the royal family the firm. Yes. That's, that, With the CEO. That's, that's really baller. Yeah, definitely. I love that establishment it's so dark um, one of the things I think that Oprah did really well again I can't believe we're talking about this but I actually thought she did a you know, she's been doing it for a long time. Is it was such a great candid interview, and I felt like she was really just having a like a friend chat with him. And you know, one of the questions she was asking Harry, I'm not sure whether you've seen it, is who he kind of still has connection with. Mm. And the yep. and I think that sort of really clarified that it wasn't the Queen or it wasn't Prince Philip, but actually it was it was Charles and and ultimately probably his brother a little bit as well.
1: Yeah, and the fact that you know, yeah, you know, we've obviously the whole phone call being not not answered it's been well documented but then also learning that he's been you know cut off financially and that he's only been able to do the things he's been able to do because of the money that was put aside by his mother um and so yeah it it is really really fascinating i think megan markle you know the the situation she's been through and the types of things that she's had to put up with have just been unbelievable really unbelievable and uh it's yeah it's very brave to do what they've done i've there's some people out there so saying, oh what's why have they done this and it's kind of like i guess there's also been people saying oh you know well we all knew that the royal family has always been racist but it's kind of that's always been without any sort of evidence it's always been a, a suspicion and this is really lifting the lid a little bit i for one would love to see it lifted even further i've as you know i've been watching the crown appreciating its fiction obviously but it's been a fascinating watch and i just feel like with the season four the upcoming seasons i would love to see them just keep on going right into modern day because it's uh it's really becoming quite a fascinating tale now and it's uh yeah i i have some views because i'm not a royalist um i just i just wonder what the world's reaction will be once the Queen herself passes and we have King Charles. I, I wonder what the, the world's reaction to, to that will be in the light of what's been exposed this week.
0: I think what this interview has done Paul, is it's really... Confirm for me. Might need to watch The Crown. Like I just kind of felt myself sucked into the the drama and the firm or the establishment, and I just I, I wanted to know more. Um, and I think that was sort of my I guess my connection to the podcast is you know we've talked about The Crown a lot, and I think it's 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 really picked that picked that interest. Interesting as well to see. I guess this is probably more news that um, Piers Morgan, the the mm. outspoken. Um, British um, news personality. Um, he quit this morning over over an argument he had with a, a, mm. a co-host. I guess the weatherman. And Yeah, <laughs> and it's it, it's so fascinating because I think when you're like in New Zealand, obviously we're, we're part of the Commonwealth, but you don't really have any, like, any proper insight sort or of really any sort of like most people don't really like, you know, you might be passively interested. You might know about sort of major things, but you don't really know. And it's always interesting talking to someone uh, from the UK and where it's a bit more of a, a common point of conversation.
1: Yeah. it's uh, the, the, the Piers Morgan situation actually was fascinating because he's rolled a number of people up for many years and uh, he has said things for a long time which many people have not been sort of happy with and it it's, this is what makes this whole interview fascinating because it's brought it to a head to the point now where now people are saying we can't take any more of this from this guy and the weatherman called him out live you know live on air and basically said we've had this city for years and he just said oh, I can't take this anymore and he storms off and it's interesting because you know they say never read the comments, and I do try hard not to. But like he he tweeted when it happened, a picture of a, a clock ticking, just just a TikTok gif, um, was his. Just, that's the only reaction he'd given to social media at the time of this podcast being recorded um, to his his uh, his leaving the show. And in the comments on that tweet, there's there's a lot of support for him, and it just always fascinates me. And then I find myself uh you know going deeper and deeper into the comments and uh there's you know we talk about the divide in the united states with the uh, the election and you know this seems to be just with everything these days and this is no no exception such extreme views you're either 100 percent against or 100 percent, you know for it's kind of there seems to be such uh such a division on so many things and yeah people either love this guy or they hate him and uh he's gone So, uh, what do you think about that, Dan?
0: I think it's um, it's interesting, right? Because I feel like it's almost like he's also making the story all about him. When actually, you know, the story is actually about um, Megan and Harry and Oprah doing doing the interview. And I feel like, like, get out, Piers! Like, you know, hmm. frustrating. I feel like, you know, as you say, he's been outspoken for so many years on so many different topics. Um, the other thing I wanted to just talk about briefly is and I thought that was interesting when Megan was being interviewed and she spoke about when you become a royal, it's not like you go to like royal school and you you learn how to curtsy, you learn the um, you know, the correct fork to use at the dinner table or whatever it is. And I think, you know, like in, in movies, that's so often what we learn about when you become anything you sort of go to a, like a refinement school and mm. you you learn all of the basics and it's so fascinating to me that that doesn't exist in the royal family because it's not like this is the first time like an outsider's been brought in surely they're, they're prepared for this type of thing
1: I, I would like to think they have like a welcome pack you know like a, a royal 101 and it's kind of got you know an induction plan for your first for your first month and the, all these things are built into it it's, it is fascinating it's and in this day and age you would expect that to be something that would be really set up uh the other thing i found uh quite interesting was and this goes back to how you talked about it, uh harry's comments around it being like a firm with the the, the ceo and the head of a, it's it's the advisors that seem to actually be running the show and oprah made that comment isn't she the queen can't she decide what she wants to do you know when when they're he had landed, they'd landed in the in the UK, and she said, Oh, come up and have afternoon tea, or you must be tired, have dinner. And then all of a sudden, advisors get involved, and suddenly the Queen's calendar's full. And then even when he calls her, she's like, Oh yeah, my, my calendar's booked. It's 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 absolutely fascinating who's running the show here. And uh I yeah, I think what putting aside the horrible things that have been said and the horrible, uh, effect that that's had on, on them as a couple and, and, and Megan in particular, um, I think, um, is it, is it, is it Megan or Megan? I'm never sure it's Megan. Um, I, I think it's, I think what's fascinating is the, the insight that's, that we're getting is for me, the first time we've had anything quite like that since the time, that diana gave an interview and she talked about you know things that again the public hadn't sort of really had any any sort of insight on at all And, and you know she she talked about how there was always three of them in that marriage with camilla and you know and then she talked about her you know her other interests in life and how she adored him you know there's always those those statements that come back and i think this is going to be another one of those moments where we'll have similar memories of this entire interview even if we don't watch it again we'll always remember some of the things that have been said because royalist or not these are historic events and it just it just creates a really vivid memory
0: well, Paul, I'm sure this is uh, gripping for a large number of the the half measures audience. <laughs> but uh, I thought it was worth worth, worth touching on, seeing we, we we both sort of got a little bit of insight in both uh, watch parts of that interview. At, is the,
1: there, at the end of the day, we talk about what we've been watching this week, and that, that is what we've been watching. I draw the line at some things, like I've been another things. I've been watching a lot of football, English Premier League. But I, you know, I will I will not go there. I will not talk about the football I've been watching. I'll, I'll spare the listeners that. <laughs>
0: Like even I appreciate that Paul is there anything else that's been on your list or or is that kind of you this week
1: just the things we've been watching together so that's it for me
0: cool all right so I have been continuing uh, my watch of billions so um finished season two now and we're kind of making our way into season three still absolutely loving the show uh season two kind of ended with a a bit of a, a cliffhanger I guess. And I imagine it would have been quite the weight when you were watching this show originally. Uh, basically, it's it's the classic Chuck Rhodes versus um, Bobby Axelrod, and it looked like uh, Chuck Rhodes had finally sort of uh, turned the tables on on X, and it looked like he was sort of lining them up for a, a prison sentence, and it was finally going to go down, which I don't think anyone wants. Because, like I keep talking about, I think X is the is the he's the um, he's the Rick the from Bri- Rick and Morty. Oh right. H- yeah, well, he's the he's he's the bad guy you cheer for, right? He's the um, he's the Walt for Breaking Bad. He's the you know you want him to win. Yeah. So nice. Um, so yeah, look, uh, it's it, it's hard to kind of talk about the season when I've started already sort of halfway into season three because the mm. sort of the lines get a bit blurry for me um, about what has and hasn't happened. But look, I, I think it's it's still a really great show. It's it's so fascinating particularly um, all of the all of the sort of stuff around the stock market at the moment and just the way they throw around money in the show is absolutely outrageous you know people just spending millions of dollars just at the drop of a hat without a second thought and it's a it's a great lifestyle to kind of like really sort of watch and, and take yourself out of the the day- to-day so continuing on with season three um and it's it's still a good time
1: are there any major sort of like because, you know, in the show you sort of have different characters coming at different points. Has there been any other major actors or actresses join sort of around the season three mark? Anyone else have note? Or is it still the, the core cast as it was from the start?
0: Um, we've still kind of got a core, but um, one of the, the newer characters to, to the show um, came in in season two uh, as a, a character played by Asia Kate Dillon, who um, plays Taylor Mason. Mm-hmm. And Taylor Mason is an incredible character, so they uh they're a gender neutral character, so they use them and they pronouns they're a absolute genius when it comes to the stock market they completely you know understand how to do their due diligence on a company, understand like how you're going to make money. And just as in you know, currently in season three, uh Taylor's actually running running the company and it's it's absolutely incredible. The other character which just keeps getting better and better and is probably one of my favorite characters off the show is um the character who plays Wax, which is uh David Constable, which is mm-hmm. you know, you may remember him from Breaking Bad. He is so he's the right hand man to to Axe and he basically he. He says the things to the staff that, you know, X would lose respect for if he said them. So he kind of plays the role of the the hard ass and he'll he'll rack everyone up and he'll say horrible things to people, but he always gets the job done and he's a complete degenerate as well. He's he's all about he's all about drinking, he's all about living that hard lifestyle and then coming to work and and playing hard. So it's a lot of fun but in general the cast has sort of largely stayed the same I think what they've sort of what what the show feels like to me is kind of each season kind of plays it out from different characters perspectives like you obviously get everyone in there but season one was very much about um X kind of winning uh season two is much more about Chuck um kind of looking like he's got the upper hand and then season three so far is kind of Playing out a bit of a, a middle ground between those two characters and having them both kind of deal with the fallout of the any sort of consequences of their actions and there, there's so many sort of like plot twists and great dialogue and stuff. It's it's just a fun watch.
1: It's just great flicking through the season photographs on IMDb of uh, of this show and it looks real high quality production and it's great to hear from you that the story just keeps on evolving because it is the kind of show we think you know based on the premise alone like you said last week how much story can there be to, to tell and it seems to seems on the ratings just to keep getting better at this point so that's great good stuff
0: I think, too, the other thing is, like, these are long episodes, too. Like, these are 55-minute episodes, and there's 12 episodes per season. So, um, And it's not a show where, you know, like Yellowstone, where I just wanted to consume it and just embrace myself. And it's a show where I can watch a couple of episodes um, Mm -hmm. a night or um, I could take a break and come back to it, and it's still a good time. But it's not a show where you'd sit down on a sad day and watch a whole season. Like, it's probably a bit too much for that. Yeah. Uh, apart from that, I have also watched a couple of movies, so watched a movie that Samara's been wanting to watch for a long time, That's uh, it's a pretty new movie on Neon actually, called Nerve, and so this was a, a bit of an interesting one, so this movie came out in 2016, and it, it's basically about a, a high school senior who, who finds herself immersed in this online game of, of truth or dare, and I guess how it works is, is: you sign up to this game on your on your phone, and you either sign up as a either a player or a watcher. And if you sign up as a player, basically it, it scans all of your information, um, the sort of AI algorithm, and then it gives you challenges to complete within a certain time frame. And if you do that, you 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 win money. And it might start off quite small, like going to a a diner and. Kiss someone or sing a song in front of somebody or and throughout sort of the movie the uh, the dears get sort of bigger and bigger and bigger and more outrageous with sort of the goal to sort of ultimately ultimately win and sort of walk away with a large pool of money. This was a an interesting movie, so stars are uh, Emma Roberts and Dave Franco. It's a real for me. It's a movie you could watch while browsing Twitter on your phone. It's a movie you could watch on a a Sunday afternoon, having a bit of lazy time. It's not necessarily the like it's not the greatest movie I've ever seen. It's definitely not the worst. It's just one of those, you know, good old fashioned got got something new to tell. It's got some sort of great, um, it's got a great color palette and sort of visual effects throughout. Mm. But it's uh it it's a good time. I'd probably give it two and a half Gans on the Gans of scale.
1: Oh yeah, okay, sort of, that's pretty good. It's a, it def, yeah, the colour palette looks really good. There's a few things that sort of scream out at me. There's kind of elements of Ready Player One, elements of Tron, even elements of, dare I say it, Wreck-It Ralph. There's sort of d- different elements of those things screaming out at me. And also I see uh, Juliet Lewis is in it as well. And I feel like she's an actress who... I saw in Natural Born Killers and and, and Cape Fear and, and a couple of other things, and then just went off the radar completely. And so um, she's a, she's always good value, I find.
0: I'll tell you one thing: this movie does do that. I always find super annoying. Is so Emma Roberts, who plays this character V, is basically portrayed as like the the. The ugly girl, or the 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 girl who can't get a boyfriend, or anything, right, or right. or the nerd, or the gay, and it's like it's it's so frustrating because there is no way in any world where that that is the the hand that she's been dealt, and to have have those sorts of characters play that person always seems so ridic- so ridiculous to me and I am unsure why why writers choose to sort of go down that path. It doesn't really do anything necessarily for the story, but it's I guess it's a, a component of it. Um I think you know Dave Franco is I think always a a fun time guy. I think that, you know he's he's he normally brings some good humour and good sort of banter to, to most of the, the roles that he's in. So as I say it's a, it's a it's a fun watch.
1: That's um, James Franco's brother, isn't it? Dave Franco. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I haven't seen him in many things actually. Cool. It sounds like one I would definitely give a go, and it's on Neon here in New Zealand, so I can yeah. easily access that. Nice.
0: Indeed, and then I've watched a. I've really been going deep pool on, um, on old school movies on stars and so which is part of the the Disney Plus Network and so a movie that I just recently came across and watched on there is a 1997 movie G.I. Jane and once again Paul the whatever they're doing to these movies to digitally upscale them or whatever it is it makes them look like modern movies and like it's been a long time since I've seen G.I. Jane and I'll tell you this movie is still freaking awesome. It doesn't, you know, when you look online, it doesn't get the best reviews, but the sort of the whole concept of it's really awesome, and I think it's actually got some. It's got some. It's got a great cast. I I actually forget all the time that Viggo Mortensen actually has a a main role in this movie. He plays the the Master Chief, and it's such a character that, like, when I think Viggo Mortensen, I think wholesome, good guy, often the hero. Often um, the king, the the, the, king, the king. I think that's, that's a good summary. But in this, he's he's a he's a battle hardened, grumpy master chief who who's trying to get these uh, Navy SEALs and in, into shape to to get them ready. And you know he's dealing with the the first female applicant, and there's all this sort of pressure to both on who to succeed, and also a lot of pressure. Everyone trying to make her fail, and. I think he just plays this wonderfully sort of villainous character who you ultimately end up kind of liking because the whole way along he's actually kind of um, in, in Jane's camp, I guess. And look, it's, it's great. It's great. Also her name isn't Jane, it's Jordan, but um, it's, it's such a, it's such a good movie. It's, it's, it reminds me of everything about the, the 90s. It's. There's a few dated things in there and, and stuff, but it's a, if you like your sort of army movies, this is definitely one to go back and, and have a watch of.
1: Firstly, I love it when you say, I've gone real deep into some old movies, because you know when I do that, and I, I start going down the Amazon Prime wormhole, and I start coming out with like 1936 Flash Gordon or, or 1950 Alien from Mars... <laughs> this isn't quite as old school but uh what's interesting is this is one of the very few Ridley Scott movies that I have never seen and I had no idea obviously haven't never watched it I I had no idea that Vigo was in it either so that's that's always a positive because as you say he's he's great I've never been the biggest fan of Demi Moore and I think that was why I just never went there. I think it was around the time where some of the movies she was bringing out were perhaps middle of the road, but you've um, you've piqued my interest. Uh, it sounds like it's definitely worth a go. And um, if, yeah, as you say, this Disney star, or Disney Plus star, sorry, is kind of bringing this quality up um, in terms of how a movie looks. And we'll be talking about that with our movie of the week as well, I'm sure. Um, it's, it makes it, it makes it more, uh, what's the word, more attractive to, to go back and watch some of those things, isn't it?
0: Well, I think it does. And I think it's, that like, these are movies which, unless I just happen to kind of stumble across it or was talking about it with someone else, I wouldn't go out and try and hire it or mm. rent it from iTunes or, or whatever it may be. But to, to just kind of have this whole enormous back catalogue from, and I think it's a back catalogue from, from when, you know my sort of teenage years, yeah. and these are movies that I just watched all the time. And like I'm, I'm in the opposite camp to you. Like I'm, I'm a really big Demi Moore fan, and she's an absolute beast in this in this movie. Like she's bulked the hell up, and she's she's truly going like one on one with all of these Navy SEALs, and you know a, a real great time is actually just the the really cringy fashions of the, of the military in the nineties, and you've got these like you know Viggo Mortensen as the master chief, and they're standing in in the water like yelling at people doing press ups, but they're wearing like the tiniest of shorts. that they're, they're just inappropriate. <laughs> no one should be made to wear shorts that small.
1: This is this is reminding me of your your commentary for Starch at the motion picture with the uniforms, which are which are way too close. <laughs>
0: Indeed, indeed. So, yeah, look, it's – look, I think even the Ridley Scott factor mm. and, and the fact that you haven't seen it, I, I would go and give it a whirl. It, it's a lot of fun. Um, and Bruce
1: Willis as well. My goodness. Wow. Is that Yeah, look, there's,
0: there's a lot of people.
1: Uh, oh, no. Not, a lot of people. I'm sorry, I'm, mis- I'm looking at the credits of the photos and it's just that the premiere. Oh, Bruce Willis, right. Sorry, my mistake.
0: Yeah, I, I was wondering whether it might be like a, a, a weird small role in the bat Yeah, but anyway, no, it's it, it's still good. So go and check it out. And then the other thing, I watched the series finale of One Division. So yes, all nine episodes are now out. It was. Uh,
1: the Luke Skywalker moment, right? Finale. The finale. Tell me about the Luke Skywalker moment, because as someone who hasn't watched it, I have heard that the finale, they were, they were promising like a big Luke Skywalker at the end of Mandalorian type finish. So spoilers aside for anyone who cares, was it Luke Skywalker? It wasn't.
0: I'm going to drive to your house, Paul, <laughs> and we're going to have <laughs> words about this. I think this is one of the things which made this um, finale a little... I don't want to use the word disappointing because I think overall I really enjoyed this series, but I feel like there was a lot of rumours and hype about these big Luke Skywalker level moments that were going to be coming in this this final episode. And for me, they never arrived. Like We never got that magic cameo. We did get Wanda fully sort of turn into the Scarlet Witch, which is a, her sort of true superhero identity, but it was never that that sort of crossover scene that we were looking there was no professor x or dr strange or spider-man or Mm. um, more quicksilver or whatever it was but in saying that i still think it was actually a, a a good a good final episode it basically wrapped up the whole story i actually think it sort of poses quite a few challenging questions for the audience you know the the big question for me is, you know, normally there's a there's a really clear villain, in, you know, in sort of this, in the sort of uh, comic book genre, and in this case, though we did have a a, a villain in the sense of um, Agatha Harkness as sort of the the witch who was going against Wanda, the actual real villain was Wanda herself because Wanda basically captures all of these people inside this bubble inside this town and is kind of holding them hostage and you know there's at the end of the day like she's sort of going toe to toe with this other witch in the sort of the final sort of few episodes but the other witch is just trying to understand her powers she's not she's not the one who sort of captured this town and and is holding them all hostage so it was really interesting in that sense. Um, I think they did some interesting things with, with Vision, the character. So it looks like, you know, in a, in a true comic book way, the MCU has found a way to keep um, Vision alive. I think what they've done really well with this is, is Wanda's really set up to for the for the next phase of MCU content, which, you know, she's gonna be joining the the Doctor Strange movie and the multiverse of madness. And and it's all kind of like tied up perfectly perfectly for that. So in that sense, it was a really good watch. Hmm. I look forward to sitting down and watching all nine episodes uh, to kind of see what it feels like as a as a real sort of tight complete package. Yeah. Um but I think it was probably the rumours that probably kind of let me down the most because we keep hearing all these awesome things and they never landed. And so I I kind of wish that I I stayed away from those.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those things when people, and I I am guilty of this as well, when I start saying, oh, you've got to watch this thing, and then people go and watch it and they're like, oh, it was okay. Overhyping is the most dangerous thing you can ever do. Um, I think, uh, and I obviously I was – Messing with a little bit at the stat there because I had seen online some of the commentary around people's uh, sort of disappointment at the 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 big moment or, or what have you, and I was just looking at the ratings, and I think I've been saying to you for at least the last four or five episodes how the the ratings have gone up each time, and that last episode the ratings went down to the lowest since I think the the third episode I think, um, and so that's obviously reflected there. But I don't, as you know, I, don't, I haven't seen as much of the Marvel cinematic universe stuff as, as you and uh, even i know that there's a wealth of characters out there i would have thought it would have been relatively simplistic for them to to bring in someone some some logical way whether it was dr strange or, or whoever it feels like uh that they would have the money for that as well i think you know they're all sort of coming from the, the disney franchise
0: I think, you know, like it's it's tough, and that's why I sort of feel like I, I almost need to separate the two things. That it didn't give me the big um, surprise moment that I kind of felt like I wanted, but if I remove that from it, it was still a really good series. And I think that, you know, right from the outset, they always said with WandaVision, we're going to do something different here, we want to tell a different story. And I think when I think about that, they achieved that goal, and they've actually Kind of given a, a voice and a, a different a different story to these characters that we would have never found out in the movies, and I think what they've actually done is is have probably really given them a really good platform to actually go to go really to go bigger and deeper with them in future movies and in future TV shows. So mm. from that sense, it's it's still good. Mm. And Paul, that is me. So I wonder whether it's time for us to talk about The Walking Dead this week.
1: Buckle up, guys. Uh, this is your 30 second warning before we have left off of the Damn warning Express, which will be heading everyone's way shortly as we unleash our frustrations at this week's episode of season 10, episode 18, Find Me. Uh, the synopsis for this uh, episode of The Walking Dead, an adventure for Daryl and Carol turns sideways when they come across an old cabin and it takes daryl back to the days when he left the group after rick disappeared and he relives the time that only the apocalypse could manifest and so we've got an episode where we go we go back in time five years and we explore a bit of daryl's um time away from the group post rick disappearing obviously he's still in a bit of a an emotional state about that um this was a really great episode. This is probably one of the best episodes of The Walking Dead that I've. <laughs> I just needed to just to see if I could get you going there. Um, I I'm normally I sort of come in with the positive and then let you loose on it, but I I have to be honest. This was not a great episode. I'll I'll add some things in, but Dan, I'll just check in with you what your thoughts initially are.
0: This is probably the worst episode of Walking Dead I've seen in a long time. Paul, I have got so many complaints and so many. Like even watching it, I was like, "Why am I even watching the show anymore? Like, what is the what is the point?" And I feel like I have nothing but negative things to say about it. And I feel like the way they are treating these characters is frustrating. They've got to get us in that writers' room. I swear to God. Do you want me to start going through my list, or do you want to talk about a few things first? Oh.
1: I'll get in quickly, just because I'm sure some of mine are on your list. But uh, just quickly, this was directed by David Boyd, and he's he's uh, something of a veteran in the Walking Dead universe. He's long-serving director of photography. He's done about a half dozen episodes, and the truth is, I have no problem with the direction of this episode. In fact, I actually thought there were some nice, sort of blurry scenes and moments where we see Daryl thinking back to when he was when he first sees the house. So I think that part was done quite well. No problem with the direction. What I have a problem with, and I think you will obviously too is as you said, is the story itself. And it's not even poorly written either. It's actually why is this story being told? What and why for a whole episode? We haven't got a B story. This 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 is it. And it's not good enough. It's not good enough for an A story. I think I would have happily watched this in a much shorter version playing as a B story, where maybe we had an A story going on about, I don't know, King Ezekiel or or Negan and Maggie have got caught up in a situation together or Judith has gone missing. I don't don't even care what it is, as long as there's another story that I can jump to. And, um, yeah, I guess the things for me that sort of were – there just wasn't any tension either because, of course, when you have – and I give that a bit of a pass because when you have an episode in the past – obviously the tension is removed because you know that those characters are going to survive but that does mean that we have things that just don't work so like when daryl flips over that boat and he's looking down at that walker and we're you know he's thinking oh no is that going to be rick it's a wasted opportunity because it's in the past and so we know it isn't plus we know of course we've got three not one three rick grimes movies coming out don't forget dan so so yeah so um there's some things in there which I thought were positive. I'll come back to, but um, I'll let you off the leash for now, Dan.
0: Well, 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 yippee yo, yippee yay! <laughs> all right, I've got a lot to complain about here, Paul. So first of all, look, I love how Daryl rides a motorbike, but I really don't think it's that practical having the loudest motorbike in town when you're riding through the zombie apocalypse, <laughs> and just it's so obnoxiously loud, it's ridiculous. I also think that. The way that he treated Carol in that episode was so frustrating to me. And I know that they've always had this real love-hate relationship. But, you know, I felt like what annoys me about the the writers of this show is that, you know, there's that scene where... Um, Daryl and Carol are catching the fish, and he's sort of saying to Carol, "You don't know how to catch a fish." And it's like Carol's been living in the apocalypse world as as long as you have, Daryl. She's been out on her own. She's been like this. Is, this isn't Carol. Like if you want to have a character who doesn't understand any understand the world or understand how to survive, that's not Carol. And I felt like it, it was it was disrespectful the way that he treated her, and and it's it's not the character who we've kind of been. On, on this journey with the last 10 seasons. Then I think, you know, there's this, you know, Daryl's the, the flashbacks and stuff, you know, he's he's in the forest and he, here we've got the master survivalist, Daryl Dixon, and he turns around all of a sudden there's like 30 zombies behind him. Like, come on, dude, I thought you were good. And then we've got this love story, which I honestly, I couldn't care less about. I actually really like how they've played, um, you know, Daryl was kind of this mysterious, like, what is Daryl's deal? Is he is he interested in anyone? Is he interested in Beth? Is he interested in Carol? Is he interested in anyone? And all of a sudden, they throw this new character at us, who, there's just, look, there's just not enough time for us to build up any sort of connection, empathy, emotion towards her, and the fact that, you know, I've seen these things online, oh, she could still be out there, Daryl might find her, who cares, the only person, the only good thing about this whole episode, Paul, was that puppy, and that dog is the best thing that's happened to the show, but I just, I, I found the whole thing frustrating, I think, the fact that it then ended with Daryl and Carol having, like, another argument, like, which we've had 10 million times, like, Just, I feel like if we're going to have a Daryl-centric episode, which, by the way, looked like something out of Lord of the Rings, there were so (laughs) many like hazy filters and and greenery, I wondered when um, the Elvis were going to come in. I think that there would have been better Daryl stories to tell, and I feel like watching Daryl be a solo act isn't a special story. We've seen that for 10 seasons. That's always been his jam. And this love interest, get out
1: it's interesting there's a number of things you've said there which are hilarious um firstly i wish we had video podcasts so people could see the emotion that's across your face for me i actually some of the things you touched on actually were positives for me so like the way daryl was arguing and sort of play fighting with this with leah this 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 woman who who finally sees in him what you know, half the female Walking Dead audience have probably been saying for years, but no one on the show has ever has ever really seen. So I, I actually thought it was nice to see Daryl have a little bit of closeness and happiness in this in this crazy a, a, apocalyptic world. Um, so I thought that was a bit of a positive. Actually, Leah herself, I, I who's played by Lynn Collins, I actually thought she was quite good. She's an actress I've seen a few times. She she was in X Men, and more recently we saw her in the last season of Bosch. Um, she played that woman who was trying to frame the murder and then she got caught out by like a jacket or something in a photograph. I forget what it was, but she was a good fit for Daryl. I thought, and I'm in that camp of fans that are like, maybe she is still out there. So that does give a little bit of intrigue. I don't know if I'm reaching here. I can see the, <laughs> the look in your eyes. It tells me maybe I am. Um, but that is about all I got um, from this. The rest of what you said, I'm on board with, I guess, the motorbike i forgive him if that is the only motorbike that he could find maybe the motorbike shop didn't have a a muffler in stock that week when he went and picked it up i don't know you know in the apocalypse it might be a bit difficult to find a quieter motorbike i don't know i i'm not a motorbike guy but i guess you get what you give him in in the uh, in that world what worries me the most about all of it dan and this may ultimately be what leads to you going full hulk mode is is this is this what they have in mind for the Daryl and Carol spinoff series that, that they have coming up, because that is not going to fly if this is what we're getting.
0: Yeah, look, I I think the thing is, look, I know I get really ranty about this show, and I, I think it's, again, I just go back to, I think they've got really good, interesting characters. I think the actors are fine. I, th- I actually don't have any problem with any of the actors and in the, in the way they do the scenes. I just, it, I find the the lack of attention to the story frustrating and i just i don't know i don't think a daryl and carol spin-off series will be interesting at all unless we can break break i I would have rather seen a daryl and carol romance to be honest with you because at least we know that there's that, that we know the story of those two characters and i look i know that that's probably not not quite the the romance that the The sector's looking to to produce, but I feel like at least we know about it. And I feel like it seems so crazy to me to take our our new main act from The Walking Dead, and this is the best story that we can come up with. Mm. Like, there's so many other interesting things that we we could have done with um, Daryl. I would have liked to see him get like you know captured by some people or put in some real like life threatening situations. But it, it just felt like a a ho-ham waste of an episode
1: yeah and with all due respect because Norman Reedus is, is great as Daryl but there's something about that Daryl character that worked so well as the wingman as it were for, for Rick Grimes that, that that has never been able to work without him as well and it's a yeah look it's a real shame when you get episodes like this because Yeah, this was the show to watch um, for so long. And for every flash of brilliance that we do get in the sort of later seasons, for every two, three episodes of A Good Story, we keep getting one of these and it just leaves you frustrated. And I said earlier I wouldn't talk about the football games I've been watching, but as a football fan, what it reminds me of, it's like watching the team you support And you you go into a game knowing who the players are and you know what they're capable of and then you see them lose at home to West Ham or some other team that you should really beat. And you just... Then you keep losing and the crowd gets frustrated and ultimately what normally happens then is that the manager gets sacked not the players and so it's, it's actually who is writing this as you said and who is signing it off because if I wrote that script and presented it to you and then for sign off and you signed it off and it gets made and it airs and people react like we are then both of us if we keep doing that we don't deserve you know we should be gone
0: look and I think you know you, you've you've had a really valid point I think Daryl as a character Works so well when the when when he's got his Rick Grimes because I think Daryl brings that dark edge that you need but I think that that dark edge isn't good if you haven't got someone kind of playing the the counter voice mm-hmm. or the, um, the the just a, a different angle on it and I, I think you're right it's I, it's frustrating because this is a show that we have loved and I just feel like we're literally just, it's been run into the ground. And I feel like, you know, even just while you were talking, I was thinking, you know, Daryl could have even met up with somebody from our, um our world beyond universe or something. There could have been some weird connection there, just something that kind of like sparks something that helps bring all of this universe together. I don't even think it has to be that hard. I just feel like it's these kind of like, and I know that some people did, did like the episode, mm. and, you know, People enjoyed seeing that you know Daryl finally got to have a, a love interest and you know that's that's great. But we're we're literally on the 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 end of days for Walking Dead, right? And I I want the show to finish as strong mm. as it started. Oh, you're right. And until they get us in that writers' room, it's not going to happen. <laughs>
1: Correct. That's that's the answer they want. Look, you're right. Because if they're running out of stories to tell what what are they going to do with season 11 because you would hope as you said that, that we want a great way to sign off and I'd love the crossover opportunity with World Beyond because that's a new show and it would it would give uh, it would it would lift that show's reputation up as well I think there's a great opportunity for that so um Let's hope, you know, I just talked about a dip in form. We've just had a bad game. The players are going to get riled up and they're going to come out strong for the next game. Let's hope that it was just a dip and we're going to be in for a run of episodes now that's going to lift us up. Then.
0: I think, you know, the, the the one episode that I'm really looking forward to actually is, is the Negan backstory episode. I think, you know, that's going to be a story where they can actually do something interesting. And I actually think they've got other characters who have got more interesting things going on as well. So, and... You know, one thing I guess to be fair to them is they are creating these episodes during a pandemic, so there isn't the normal cast and number of people on set, and you know there there is those limitations. But I, I still think there's this thing to explore.
1: No, for sure, for sure. So um, for anyone who's not interested in Yellowstone, the Royal Family, or Walking Dead, I hope you're still with us because uh, we're now going to go into our movie of the week feature.
0: So, every week, uh, Paul and I take turns choosing a different movie, uh, where we have a bit of a deep dive and review all about it. If you'd like to find out what that movie is before you listen to the podcast, you should join our Discord channel, where we post that movie every week. And so, this week, the movie that we are reviewing is Crimson Tide. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. We're going, we're going back a wee while now, 1995. So on a US nuclear missile sub, a young first officer stages a mutiny to prevent his trigger-happy captain from launching his missiles before confirming his orders to do so. Dan waiting, what did you think of Crimson Tide, Chief of the Boat?
0: Unlike The Walking Dead this week, absolutely loved it and so much like G.I. Jane I felt like that this was on Disney stars where we watched it I keep saying stars but I think it's star isn't it
1: yeah singular yeah yeah.
0: yeah, this is another like such a a great movie and it's been that we've talked about this movie quite a bit on the pod particularly when we've talked about um Gene Hackman and This is a a real top-quality submarine um, military action drama. And if you love things like Hunt for Red October, you're definitely going to love this movie. It's got a a stellar cast as well, another movie with Viggo Mortensen. It's also got the late James Gandolfini. Mm -hmm. It's it's such a, a great watch. And I found myself, you know, when we talked about this movie as movie of the week, I sometimes think oh because it's old like am i going to get as hooked in as i as i remember it is it going to be as great as i remember it and there is i don't know what it is but is it the quality is it the effects is it the storytelling this this little era of the 90s movies i i'm in love paul i love them
1: yeah i know what you mean when you when you chose this one as the one of the selections for movie of the week it was kind of like I hadn't seen it for a long time and I thought you know is it still going to be as good and you're absolutely right I have to say then Crimson Tide The Hunt for October U-571 K-19 The Widowmaker uh, you name it I generally love these submarine movies I don't know what it is about I'm always drawn in maybe it comes back to my love of movies that are within a a confined space you know it all happens in this tin can under the ocean but Crimson Tide is no exception by any means. I really loved this rewatch. Like I say, I, I reckon it must be at least a decade or so since I watched this one. And I, f- I feel like there's something about. Denzel Washington is the, is, is the main star here, but Gene Hackman, there's something about him. You know, you talked about him last week with Enemy of the State, and this just. This is almost, I know this was towards the end of his, his acting career because he sort of, he stopped making movies in 2004 after, what a way to go out, um, welcome to Mooseport, terrible way to end your film career with that terrible movie. But sort of like the late 90s were the tail end of his career. But I actually think he's peaking at this point. I think he's just so well cast in this role as this grizzled Captain Ramsey character on board this sub and every line that he delivers, and I've, guilty of saying this a lot but this is another one of those roles where i cannot imagine anyone being more effective than gene Hapman in this role i think the relationship that the chemistry that he and denzel washington have and the way that they're so polar opposites about what's the right thing to do so they've got this confirmed order about the nuclear missiles and then another message comes through and it gets cut off halfway and they don't know if it was saying go ahead and launch or if it was saying oh no cancel it the russians have surrendered it, that they're on two sides of that and that's that's the tension that's the drama and it's just fantastic it was a brilliant rewatch, and it was as you said on Disney's the really good quality from a definition point of view
0: I also um really like when they have sort of and I know this is a uh not a, not a true story at all, but, you know, one of the – when of sort of like a, a powerful statement and um, in, in text at, at the front of a movie. And I remember when this one starts and it's like the three most powerful men in the mm-hmm. world are the President of the United, United States of America, the President of the Russian Republic, and the Captain of a United States ballistic missile submarine. And that's – and like it just sort of seems to chill down your spine, doesn't it, that, you know, that – And the whole premise of this movie, and I remember the first time I watched it kind of being like the anxiety of, like, they haven't got the right message. Like, what would you do in that situation? Would you fire? Would you not? What side would you be on? And, you know, I think it's one of those interesting movies where, you know, obviously, um Captain Ramsay is kind of more put in the in the, the bad guy camp, I think, in, in this film because he's kind of, you know, you're doing it blindly, you're not you're you're not doing it with the full information and, and Denzel Washington's characters is much more the sort of honourable and we'll do it by the book and there's mm. millions of, of lives at stake. But it's just the, the I think you're right, the tension, the way those characters kind of play off each other, the way that they kind of um, form relationships with the crew and, and really tight confines of, of a submarine is, is really interesting. And, you know, they've also got a whole bunch of great sort of witty banter in there. They've got the Star Trek line. Oh. They've got you know, lines about um, the Silver, Silver Surfer. Surfer. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really good. And I think, you know, there's, there's some interesting things. I was sort of looking at some, some trivia about this movie. And, uh, there was some stuff where they, they went originally when they were looking to make this movie that went on a U.S. Navy submarine and the, the original plot of the movie wasn't about, um, you know, two U.S. Uh, Navy um soldiers being, being against each other. It was more about the sort of the Russian threat. And when they decided to change the story to be what it is, the U.S. Navy actually pulled out of sort of wanting anything really to do with it because it wasn't the the story they wanted to tell. And so what it actually meant is they actually had to use a, a French submarine for a lot of the scenes and the French Navy helped them. But they needed a, a shot of the, the submarine um, going basically, submerging in under mm. underwater, and so they basically hung out at Pool Harbour waiting for a submarine to leave dock, and then followed it in a helicopter to and waited for it to submerge so they could get that footage of, of the submarine that they needed.
1: That's brilliant. That's awesome. That's brilliant. That's what a great job that would be, just hanging around as well at Pearl Harbour, just waiting and just like a stakeout. Um, so much about what you said fascinates me. Um, I, you write about how they. Yeah, you know, especially with Hackman's character just being played as that sort of the bad guy and just, just, just tilted, just that, just verging a little bit crazy, just a grizzled old sea dog, just a little bit on the crazy. But at the same time, he had enough things that he was saying that at times you're like, actually, he could be right, and you 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 feel sometimes torn. Um, there was there was just so much about this movie that, that was was great. The the theme music from Hans Zimmer had a very dark night feel to it which was just great in fact of course this is before dark night so if anything i should be saying dark night has a very crimson tide feel to it but either way it was really enjoyable having a great theme the the only time i felt that the had aged or maybe some of the things there was just scenes that i don't think they all do in modern movies i just feel like you've just it just feels a bit cheesy now like the um every time there's a battle stations and there's the people just running all over the place and the camera's cutting from place to place with the the over-the-top running there. And the other thing was, why are there so many flashing lights in there? It's like a disco in there. I feel I, like I had a pretty stressful day at work today, right? And I, I had a lot to do on a, on a non-movable deadline. But I tell you what, if you'd walked in, Dan, and stuck six of those rotating flashing lights on top, you know, like the ones on top of police cars in the room, I don't think it would have helped me do my job any faster. I think there's some real dramatic effect going on there. I mean, at least in Star Trek when they go to Red Alert, it's just one red light flashing and not those, you know, those spinning around lights like a lighthouse. I mean, it's madness.
0: Well, I think this this comes from the era of anyone who's using a computer, that screen has to be so bright, it basically melts your retinas (laughs) so that they can they can see the the green hue on your glasses, the beads of sweat coming off your face. And I think that's always been the the fascinating thing about a, a submarine movie is it is such a you know you you're you're not going battleship to battleship or soldier to soldier. It it really is a almost like a bit of a game of chess and you know often the the person that they're they're fighting is is we don't even need to see them they're a whole nother vessel there's no windows there's no so you're really reliant on the on the character's emotion and I think that when and I think this is just a thing of the 90s it'd be interesting I haven't I don't think I've seen a submarine movie of, of late but you know it is very much about how can we make this as dark and gritty and sweaty and um flashing lights as possible
1: mm, yeah i've i really like what you talked about about the uh the other ship as what the other sub sorry you know but we never get to see the russian's perspective we don't we see the exterior of the russian sub very very briefly but um it kind of we talked about it before like an alien you know don't show the alien too much It adds to the mysteries you know, we don't get to see it and i think if you think about like red october we saw in inside both both ships you know the red october and the what was it the uss dallas but the the uss alabama and this um it's a great crew like you said vigo mordenson james gandolfini great support crew um you've mentioned the the star trek line it remains for me the greatest star trek reference in any movie when uh, denzel washington starts talking to that engineer to try and relax him by talking about Star Trek with him and calling him Scotty and saying, I'm Captain Kirk, I need warp speed on that radio. It's just so well done. It's so effective. Hackman talking about horses at the most stressful moment in the whole movie. So basically they've got three minutes until the Russians have launch capability and and Scotty's down in engineering working on the radio and there's nothing that anyone can do but wait. And so he just lights up a cigar and has a conversation with Denzel Washington's character about horses and whether they're from Portugal or Spain. It's just it's just really well done. It's it's, 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 it's really great. Um, there's also a moment where they're looking at each other when they're authenticating. So they, they finally get up to launch, uh, up to surface, and they get the message come through. And as they're authenticating the message, the way that Denzel Washington looks over at Gene Hackman and then you know you know by this the look in the eyes without having the message authenticated that obviously you know the the message was not to launch the nuclear uh, weapons and so um and then you know hackman disappears slowly down the stairs in his own cigar smoke uh, it's it's a it's just great it really is do you know what I was thinking? I was this is a long shot, but I want to say it just in case it comes true in the future, and I can say I had the idea. I reckon there's a, there's a potential sequel there that follows Denzel Washington's character because, of course, Hackman's character recommends him for a command at the earliest opportunity. I reckon a, a Crimson Tide two type situation with Washington in the hot seat as the captain It'd be great.
0: I would a hundred percent watch that. that that would be so much fun. I think it's just such a great movie. I think on the, on the Akimbo scale, it's, it's four guns for me. I've got, I've got no real complaints. It's, it's just a hell of a good time.
1: It's, it's four missiles for me. Launch tubes, two and four and 20 through 25, all the guns.
0: Nice. All right. So yeah, if you want to find out what our movie of the week is next week, make sure you come and join us in our discord channel and you can find those details in the show notes below. So it must be time for a little bit of news. So I don't have a lot this week, but just a a couple of things that might be of interest. So it looks like Disney Plus has now officially hit over 100 million subscribers, which is a pretty big deal, I think. And it looks like they've actually got some forecast to have more subscribers than Netflix Mm. by 2026, which I think is is fascinating because obviously Netflix has been around for a long time on the flip side of this, all of the big franchises that Disney plus owns and, and also having this sort of back catalog now with their, their Hulu slash stars star content is, is absolutely incredible. And I find myself more and more like I'm going to Disney plus I'm going to neon. I i don't find myself going to Netflix at all very often these days. And you know, I never thought I'd say that.
1: No, no, I, it was it was the thing, and and then of course here in New Zealand, Neon and, and Lightbox merged, and that's been really really successful. I think most of the stuff we're watching seems to be on Neon, and now I'm dipping my hand in to Disney Plus as well. So it's uh, it's interesting seeing those stats uh, because I would have thought they might be projected to before 2026 that feels a long time down the road and a lot of things can happen in that time so i would have thought they might be ahead of netflix before then but i guess we'll see
0: yeah look i agree and i think you know if they end up bringing Black widow on here sooner we've got next week it's starting the um the winter soldier series is starting it's just this there's, there's so much good stuff happening mm. Uh, what else have I got here? So this is actually um, Sador on our Discord channel brought this to our attention, but it looks like uh, Kim's Convenience Store is not going to have a season six, and it's going to wrap up with season five. So I've been a, a long time fan of the Kim's Convenience TV show, and I am... Uh, I guess sad that we're not gonna get a final season, but when I kind of probe a little bit deeper into the article, it's not like it's been cancelled, it's more that the the writers have come to the conclusion that, that that they don't have another story to tell. Take note Walking Dead. So they're 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 wrapping it up where they sort of feel like this this is probably a natural endpoint for the show. So, you know, we talk about palette cleansers all the time on, on the podcast, so this is a perfect palate cleanser if you're looking for your uh, superstore, your office, your Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Give Kim's Convenience a go. It's a, it's a fun store. You can watch it in, on uh, Netflix, I believe, here in New Zealand. I also have, it looks, what have I got here? Oh, yeah, so it looks like obviously on the 18th of March we're going to be getting the, the Snyder Cut of Justice League, mm-hmm. though it looks like a few people actually got to view some of the Snyder Cut a little bit early. So the new Tom and Jerry film, um, which is you can access on, on Warner Brothers, is when people went to play that movie, it actually started playing the Snyder Cut of Justice League. So... There was a small group of people that have seen the first, I guess, hour or so before somebody fixed that mistake, and I, I presume somebody got fired over this. point. I don't know. I don't know how you accidentally connect these things together. But
1: it's it, it sounds like a a, a human error. Uh, you know, you I don't know. You could do it in any computer system. You're you're assigning someone to a room in a hotel, and you put them in the wrong room. But what a mistake to make! What a mistake to make! I saw this is one of the pieces of news I had as well. I had the tweet here where the I think the cat got let out the bag by someone who tweeted at HBO Max saying someone's getting fired. This isn't Tom and Jerry hashtag Snyder Cut. <laughs> and I I feel like I hope they took the opportunity to watch the whole movie before they made that tweet because yeah, that's amazing. I mean, just imagine being that person. Just like imagine if this was like a you know the rise of Skywalker if that had been released on on a, on a digital format rather than the cinema. You, you just wouldn't believe what you were saying, would you?
0: Amazing. Amazing. And one final bit of news from me. So this might be of interest to you, Paul. I know you're a big star Wars book fan. It looks like two star Wars books have been canceled. So the first one being the, um, the Mandalorian ultimate visual guide is no longer going to be coming out soon. And Also, The Mandalorian, the original novel is also being cancelled. So it looks like the, the rationale for both of these is that they want to obviously back at Disney. They want, they've got a whole bunch of shows which they're leveraging off The Mandalorian and they're probably just not ready for these these to come out they probably don't want you to know all of these details quite yet it says in the in the media that's come out about this that they've been cancelled but i wonder whether maybe delayed is more the correct word because it wouldn't be like disney and star wars to leave some money um on the table so at some point i imagine we'll get them but it doesn't look like it'll be anytime soon
1: dan There are some things that you need to tell me ahead of time and not live when we're recording a podcast, because this is throwing me off my game completely. I'm not bothered about the visual guide, but the novel, the novel I've been keeping eyes on the release date and just tracking it. I keep a spreadsheet, as I'm sure you're not surprised to hear of all future release dates of of Star Wars novels so that I can make sure I I own them all. That is disappointing, but you're quite right. They're not going to leave money sitting on the table. They'll be back at some point, but... um, that's disappointing but
0: there we go and that Paul is all of the news I have is there anything on your news desk
1: I have a couple of things you you covered off two of them already um so we have medical Soul season six will now be uh premiering in 2022 that's disappointing as well um that news I saw in our Discord channel, I think was the first place I saw it from from yourself. Um the uh the the better news that I have, uh, and this is something that I've been moderately involved in campaigning for, which sounds <laughs> really bizarre when you put it like that, for your first world campaign. But uh the final season of Bosch is being released uh, this year and we've watched all, all of it so far so we'll be there for the final season but there's been a big save bosch campaign running for some time and imdb tv have picked up a new spin-off series of bosch which will begin filming later this year um, and it's uh, uh, all we know so far is it's going to star um titus welliver as bosch uh madison lintz uh, as his daughter maddie and Mimi Rogers who plays the um the lawyer I can't think of her her character now but um that's great I love it when that sort of thing happens we saw it with Clone Wars Save Clone Wars and they came back it seems like sometimes you see these things and you retweet them and you 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 put your name on something you think oh this is never going to happen and when it does it's just such a great feeling if it's a show you really like suddenly comes back you know I love that so that was my big news story this week the return of Bosch
0: Awesome, and so let's go over to the mailbag.
1: Yes, let's do that. So, so jumping back into the Walking Dead, Dan, uh, just for a moment, after all the nice things we've been saying, you know, about the show, I kind of feel awkward saying that uh, the the actor who plays Daryl Dixon, Mr. Norman Reedus, um, he he saw a post on Instagram and he liked it, which I thought was, you know, that was pretty nice of him because. We were pretty gentle last week compared to this week, maybe. Norman?
0: He clearly doesn't listen to the episodes. I don't think
1: he does. (laughs) I really don't think he does. It's just probably just as well. Norman Reedus wasn't the only Norman that we heard of this week. Norman Lau from Roddenberry.com got in touch as well. Um, And so last week, Dan, you were talking on the pod about Enemy of the State, um, the 98 movie with the, the captain of the USS Alabama himself. Anyway, he got in touch to say that that movie was actually a sequel to Gene Hackman's 1974 movie called The Conversation. And when he said that, I sort of look, looked up a few things. And the plot of that 1974 movie, Francis Ford Coppola movie, revolves around a surveillance expert and the moral dilemma he faces when his his recordings reveal a potential murder. And according to film critics, Enemy of the State is constructed as a as a continuation of this movie, The Conversation. And Hackman's character is essentially the same. He even dresses the same, with the same translucent raincoat, the identical glasses, his workshop is pretty much the same and there's a scene that's similar to uh, the conversation, which has the surveillance scene in, in San Fran's Union Square. So, I really love that because I ne a I never knew this. B I've never seen the conversation, and C now it really makes me want to go and watch both. So, um, so yeah. So thank you to Norman for getting in touch about that. I love that kind of thing when you find out something like that. When there's a movie you love had a like a. A, you know, it's actually a sequel to a really old one, or, or a remake, or something. Because I, that was largely unknown to me, so that was great.
0: Well, that's um, I love that when there's kind of those those little inside twists where you know they haven't made a big deal about the connection, mm. but for the for the fans out there, it, it's there, and I think it's awesome.
1: It's another Gene Hatman movie to watch as well, which is great uh and yes yeah, so last week's peak performance for whack and phoenix we had uh ryan from san francisco he went with uh, to die for a 90s movie with nicole kidman uh sarah and jason went with joker just as you and i did then and paddy from time traveling team podcast gave us his three two one he also had to die for gladiator and his number one was walk the line and what else have I got so yeah finally I noticed this week that our rating then on imdb.com has gone up to 8.5 out of 10 now we've gone up so we are now better than The Walking Dead which is 8.2 but not quite as good as Battlestar Galactica which is 8.7 so thank you to whoever the people were that voted us up over the last couple of weeks that is the mailbag this week
0: Awesome. Thank you, Paul. So it must be time now for our peak performances. It's funny when Paul and I came into this episode, we thought to ourselves, we don't have much to talk about. This is going to be another quick episode. And here we are staring down the barrel of another one and a half hour episode.
1: It's the Royals. It's the, it's the, it's the Meghan Markle-Harry interview. I reckon that's what I didn't see coming this week.
0: What's over the line? Mm, mm. Anyway, so peak performances, much like our movie of the week, we take turns choosing actors and actresses, directors, producers, and we talk about what we think are their 3-1 their of their, their peak performances. So, Paul, who did we have this week?
1: So this week was my choice, and I went with the favourite Son of Ireland – Pierce Brosnan. Dan, do you want to kick us off?
0: Sure. So I, for the first time in a long time, Paul, I actually found this one quite tough and not for the reason, you know, normally when I say I find it tough, it's because there's so many great movies. I actually feel like that my challenge here is, like, I don't mind Pierce Brosnan as, a, as an actor. Like, I, I feel like I probably just haven't seen a lot of maybe his his classic movies when i look through the list so i i have got my 3 but i i really had to sort of dig deep into what they might be so for me this week my number 3 is i'm going to go with the really old school movie from 19 again not old school to you old school to me <laughs> 1992 the Lawnmower Man. Oh, yeah. um, this is where um, Pierce Brosnan plays Dr. Lawrence Angelo, and he basically is the he he turns a really simple man into a genius through the through the application of computer science. And it's one of the it's a it's a Stephen King story. Um, it's for its time was was quite groundbreaking. I would imagine it's unless you're kind of into the sort of the, the cult following of this movie, probably. Not great to rewatch watch mm. um, from a, a technology point of view. But yeah, I thought that would be a, a fitting number three for me. For number two, I'm going to go with Dante's Peak, which is a – this movie came out in 1997, and it's basically about a, a volcanologist who – studies volcanoes, uh, who arrives at a countryside town named the second most desirable place to live in America and discovers that a long, dormant volcano, Dante's Peak, may wake up at any moment. It's one of those movies that, again, would probably be a bit of a fun watch. It's got a great cast. It's got Pierce Brosnan and Linda Linda Hamilton in it. And I just remember having a lot of fun watching this movie and the, the villain in this movie, kind of been this active volcano that's spewing lava out and it's, you know, furiously kind of chasing people and vehicles down the street. And I don't know if you've ever seen some lava. I'm I'm sure there is times when it's absolutely hectic, but a lot of the time it's quite a a slow moving uh, entity. But nonetheless, it's my number two. And number one, this was the the easiest choice of all of them. Is I'm going to go with Golden from 1995. So this is um, Pierce Brosnan's first outing as 007. I did consider filling up my entire list with um, got with 007 uh, James Bond movies, but I thought that that wouldn't be quite fair. And I I, I do think Golden like it's, you know, I think your first is always one of your best, and this is this is a, a classic. So the Lawnmower Man, Dante's Peak, and Goldeneye for me.
1: Great choices. I remember the Lawnmower Man. I remember watching that in the movie in the cinema and just coming out thinking, "This is it. Special effects have changed forever. This is the greatest special effects I've ever seen. It's never going to get better than this." And then, like you say, now you watch it and it's kind of uh, maybe maybe we're not as good as as we thought at the time. But um, yeah, I. I had a similar sort of like uh, I thought, oh, there's a couple of bomb movies I could put in my three, but I'll, I'll keep myself to one. And I, I did the same as you. For, for me, for uh, for number three, I actually went with the the 2017 movie, The Foreigner. Uh, he co-stars in opposite Jackie Chan. And that's one that we reviewed uh, a few months ago on the pod. And I, I absolutely loved him in that. I thought it was a, a really different role for him in terms of that sort of bad guy element and bringing that really, really strong Irish accent. So the four um, was was really, really great. The second place for me, and I was really close to putting this as my number one because I really love this. And he's also opposite another Irishman, Liam Neeson. And that is the uh, 2006 movie, Seraphim Falls. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen this one before, but, but yeah, it's a end of the civil war and a, a colonel was hunting down a man with whom he has a grudge and Liam Neeson is the the colonel and Pierce Brosnan is on the run and it's just it's just great the the two guys just have this great chemistry together they're sort of you know they're being chased like well, Liam is chasing Pierce across all these great crazy terrains I honestly recommend this to anyone because it really went under the radar. I feel, and it got a lot of hate and a lot of bad reviews. And I'm not having any of it. I find this movie really, really enthralling. It's a great watch. Um, but my number one was going to be a bomb movie. It has to be a bomb movie. And just like you, Dan, I've gone with 1995's Golden Eye. Um, I feel, I, I feel like he's great across all four of those films um but of the four i think this is the one that that definitely gets the edge like you sort of said it's um it's it's interesting how often the first film is sometimes often the best bond for for many of the bonds same with same in many respects for a lot of people for connery a lot of people you know for for daniel craig with casino royale it's really interesting but this one here i i felt he was he was really good and with all due respect to timothy dalton i feel like pierce brosan just comes in and gives a, a bond performance that really raises the bar to a level that i don't think we've seen since sean connery's sort of last performance in diamonds are forever so so yeah three two one for me the foreigner seraphim falls and Goldeneye. awesome choices paul um I-
0: Every time we talk about anything 007 related, it just gets me more and more excited for the the new movie, and I I can't wait to to get back into some Daniel Craig, uh, James Bond.
1: Yeah, we need to get that date locked in, and then we can do our week by week rewatch of all the Daniel Craig movies, and it will be, it'll be good. But I guess then that is probably us for another week. So uh, thanks to, to Time Traveling Team Podcast for supporting this week's episode. And I do just want to say that I do listen to this podcast, Time Travelling Team, every week. And their latest episode is an absolute cracker. It's about the 1967 Doctor Who story, uh, The Faceless Ones. And I have to say it was an awesome pod. And Paddy and Tricia, who co host this pod, had their biggest difference of opinion ever in rating a Doctor Who story. And it made for a really great listen. So if you're a Doctor Who fan, go give them a listen.
0: Awesome, and also a special shout out to our Patreon producers of the show, Samara King and Trisha Brady. If you would like to become a Patreon and hear your name called out as a producer of the show, then you can find those details to sign up in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, it's adios.